Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. So let's go back to talking more about the Orphic Mystery School. Orpheus was a, a very important figure in the ancient Greek world, and he, as an archetype, was transitional to, from the Egyptian uh, mystery schools to the Greek, along with Pythagoras. The Pythagorean and the Orphic were two sides of, uh, of a, a mystery tradition in, in ancient Greece. And uh, the Orphic tradition was really the one of, of the greatest importance. It was the more, you could say, feminine side of the mystery school uh, journey rather than the Pythagorean, which was much more cognitive. It was the same understandings, for example, of the cosmos as vibrations, octaves, all of, of that, the understanding of the seven chakras in the form of these vibrational uh, resonances. But the Orphics wanted to feel them and to manifest them in, in their uh, in their way of uh, relating to others, not simply cognitively and theoretically, and, uh, and turn it into mathematical structures and geometry and, and get lost in the intellectuality of this understanding. But both sides were, were important. Uh, but the, the, or, the Orpheus uh, instrument, and by the way, he called his lyre his weapon, Okay, he didn't call it a musical instrument. Uh, the lyre has seven strings. And it, uh, of course, represents the full spectrum of the chakras. And one who could play a lyre was one who was uh, very highly regarded because it was a way of entrancing and chanting of bringing people into altered states through music. And so the, the musician was a magician. And people paid the musician to play at the ritual ceremonies, uh, which will sometimes, did sometimes, and still does include uh, the use of plant medicines in which uh, music is a very important part of the ritual. And so people paid money to the lyre player, the lyricist, who knew the right words and the right rhythms and the right melodies that would bring people into altered states. And the payment became so important an element of this as a sacrificial offering that the, it became the name for money. It still is in Italy. The, the name is the lira, which is the lyre, even though the... EU wants to now have all of this uh, 
this fake money of the European Union, but the real Italian currency is still the lira. So this uh, archetypal understanding continues. <clears throat> the uh, the myth has two liars involved, and the liar was originally created by Hermes, of course, who is the god of communication and transmission, and uh, and the trickster god, and the, the god who uh, brings people with his winged feet into higher states of consciousness, etc. Uh, there, are, there are two liars. One is played by Orpheus, who is, by the way, a worshiper of Dionysus or Bacchus uh, as another name for the same god, who is, an, let's say, an earlier version of the crucified god. And he was born on December 25th, and he had 12 uh, apostles and uh, disciples, and etc. The whole story of Jesus is a, a repetition of the story of, of Bacchus. And, uh, and they didn't even bother to change the details, you know. Even the same date of Jesus' birth had to be on the 25th of December. Of course, that's for equinoctial reasons, but, but nonetheless, it's the same story. So it's very clear we're not dealing with history here, but with archetypes. But the, the, the top god in the pantheon was Apollo, and Apollo played the lyre. So the idea was that when Orpheus, or a human, was playing music, they were transcending their egoic self into the archetypal self, becoming Apollo. And it is the god self that's playing the music that brings the vibrational resonance uh, that enables one to rise to god consciousness. But the music itself, the actual notes of the music and the, uh, the way that the music is played <clears throat> is uh, personalized as the nine muses. And, uh, and so the muses are the music, the hypostatization of music itself, and the beauty of those waves of sound that can bring someone into higher states of consciousness. And the power that transcends the, the muses to whom they serve are three women, the three graces. And so in the Orphic system, they represent the trinity. It's not a masculine trinity, it's a feminine trinity. Apollo isn't really part of the trinity. He, he's kind of the figurehead who, who is, uh, let's say, the, the instrument of the, uh, of the transcendence. But it's the three uh, graces, um, I think Talia, Aglaya, and Euphrosyne, who uh, are the, the ones who play the role of, the, uh, of, of the, the mother, the daughter, and the, the Holy Spirit, we could say. And so one of them is, uh, is shining the light upward uh, to see the glory of God, of the goddess. The other is 
coming down into the world and bringing that light into the world, that's, that would be the equivalent of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, right? And in Christianity, it's, the, the crucial teaching is that after Jesus goes, it's no longer the time of the Son, right? The Old Testament is the time of the Father. When Jesus is there, it's the time of the Son. But now is the time of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is implanted in every human being. And for the human being to be justified, to compensate for the, uh, the or to atone for the need for Christ to be crucified and suffer for our sins, we have a duty to realize the Holy Spirit as ourself and then to rise into theosis or into God consciousness, liberation. So Christianity has that ultimate duty. It's not simply, oh, I believe in Jesus and I'm saved. No, I have to discover the Holy Spirit within and manifest as that in order to be a true Christian. And otherwise, I'm not fulfilling the, the commandment. So it's a feminine trinity in the Orphic system. And it, 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 the, the central figure, the mediating one, uh, is Talia in this case. Uh, she starts out in the subconscious of the human soul, implanted there, but she is the one who then inspires the creation of the music, the creativity of the poetry, the, the divine madness of the, the passion for union with God, and the, the bringing of the soul to its own redemption. And then she meets the soul in that transcendent realm and the final unification happens. So the entire story of, uh, of how we, we transform is contained within the, the Orphic uh, system. Most of the Orphic teachings and the Orphic temples were destroyed by the Christians who didn't like the competition didn't want it to be known that there was an earlier crucified God and uh, that it was a, a repetition of an old theme. They wanted to be unique. So uh, all of these mystery schools were destroyed, especially the Orphic ones. And the knowledge that we have is mostly brought to us via Plato, who himself apparently was a graduate of that school. Now, according to, to Plato's version of Orphism, the, the Orphic mystery teachings declare that there are four categories of souls. Okay? The, there are neutral souls who aren't uh, either good or evil, and they are easily purified through baptism in a lake. And why a lake? I think because the lake has no waves, there's clarity, and uh, the, the sky and the, the earth can be mirrored, so our own mind can become that clear mirror of the supreme reality, and, and we are able to contain it and uh, be manifestations of the, the, the light of the sun that shines into the lake. We are to become one with the water of the lake, to immerse in it and, and, and dissolve into it and become 
that same reflecting instrument of the white light so that the, the force of the power of the goddess is felt through our presence. So that's how the, the neutral souls are purified. But then uh, the Orphics say, well, there are some that are hopeless. They are incurably evil. And uh, there's nothing we can do for them. They are headed for Tartarus. And if you, you know about the uh, geography of the ancient uh, mythological world, Tartarus is about 10 floors below Hades, okay? Now, Hades is hell. Tartarus is an inconceivably worse hell than Hades, okay? Nobody gets out of Tartarus, you know, and, and to escape Tartarus, you've got to go into Hades anyway. And Hades is, you know, a hundred floors below, you know, the earth realm of purgatory. So uh, it's, uh, it's pretty tough if you get sentenced to Tartarus. But, uh, you know, they, they uh, felt that there were some beings who, because of their psychopathic... Uh, way of, uh, of uh, not recognizing dharma and, uh, and, and having compassion and goodness and consideration for the other that they cannot be, uh, be cured. And then they say there are others who are evil but curable and they arrange for their escape from Tartarus after some period of suffering so that they will have sufficient humility uh, from having gone through that, that they will uh, turn to goodness. And then they say there are the good souls who uh, the proof of their goodness is that they are able to lead very serene lives in bodiless consciousness. They realize they're not the body. They realize that they are pure consciousness and they are able to stay in that serenity. These, the good souls are in a sense already Buddhas but they're, they haven't transcended the world yet because that's not allowed at that point in history of, of the phenomenal unfoldment, but they are at least able to be in the world but not of it. So that's the, the model of the, the Orphic uh, diagnosis. Uh, and, and what they say is the problem is that if you transcend your identity completely, you become indeterminate. And the mind is terrified of indeterminacy. It wants to know things. It wants to be certain. It wants cause and effect. It, it wants to know the sun's going to rise tomorrow, and it wants to know what the weather's going to be, and it wants to know how people are going to treat you, and it wants to know all of the the things that will, uh, will give it a sense of security and safety and, and a feeling of control. But to transcend uh, the ego and its, uh, its determinacy means that you don't know. You have to flow with the unknowable. And that's the test of one's ripeness for uh, Buddhahood. And so therefore, uh, people create religions in which they turn the Godhead into a person. Because a person means uh, an enclosed being, a finite being. Uh, 
So as soon as you turn God either into a father or a mother or you know whatever form that that you might want to worship an elephant-headed being in in India or 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 various other theriomorphic forms of God, uh, you have by personalizing and individualizing it, you have brought the infinite into the finite. And then it, you, you think you can have a relationship to God as an ego to another ego. And God will listen to your prayers and answer them. And, you know, you, things can, uh, can go along at the ego level and uh, you'll muddle through somehow. But that, of course, is an illusion and, uh, and doesn't work. But it's the, it's the ending of that, that belief system that really brings humanity face to face with its uh, loneliness, its aloneness. It's uh, not having an other that it can count on to save its ass when it gets into trouble. And so it's this, uh, this loneliness that the modern and postmodern world has brought about because people can no longer believe in a god or a mythology of any kind. And so they have, they have been almost forcibly inducted into nihilism and, and a sense of hopelessness and despair. And so even if people try to maintain some traditional form of worship, their, their heart isn't really in it. And, uh, and so the, the energy, the connection doesn't really get made. The Shakti doesn't flow. That current of power isn't connected because you can't connect any longer with a God who is outside yourself. Because the modern paradigm does not really allow for you to be able to accept such a model of reality uh, as a rational perspective. And so if you're going to reach that power, it can only be done through the equation aham aham. It has to be I am I. There is no other you can depend on. There's no rescuer. The second coming isn't about Jesus coming down or Bacchus coming down, you know, from the sky and saving us. And what is a savior, really? What, what, what do we really need to be saved from? It's a very important question, you know, because everyone's looking for a savior. But if you're really honest, isn't what you want to be saved from God? Don't you really want to be saved from the final judgment in which you're afraid that God will condemn you to Tartarus? And so... To have a God who is your savior when God is actually the threat and the enemy uh, doesn't make sense anymore either. It's not the devil we're afraid of because the ego is in league with the devil. 
the whole reason why people go back from emptiness into egohood, and they may have great experiences, whether it's in meditation or with ayahuasca or with some other way of getting into altered states where the creative imagination produces hallucinatory versions of uh, surrealities and that uh, helps one see through the fantasies of the ego temporarily, but then it wears off and the fantasies of the ego come back, etc. Why is that? It's an alignment with the Dark Lord, because what is the Dark Lord except the power of the ego itself to bring you jouissance, to bring you the enjoyment of the pleasures that also in their train bring suffering. So, the question of the final judgment becomes the real uh, key uh, point in our spiritual journey. And of course, the final judgment is happening all the time within us uh, because people are always judging every little action and word and interaction. And, uh, and usually people today have a very harsh superego, much worse than Yahweh ever was. Uh, and, and so they're filled with shame and guilt and, and a sense of failure, moral failure, moral weakness, a judgment of, uh, of, of a terrible failing of character. How many people can relate to that? Okay, well, the final judgment, of course, is here, right? So how do you get out of this situation, right? Because isn't that really why uh, you're on a spiritual quest? You want to escape God, the God that is the superego final judgment that has condemned you to uh, a miserable self-image. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.